Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Exodus. And uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you go to the the uh, front part of your Bible and uh, go through the book of Genesis or pass by the book of Genesis onto the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. And, and let me just say a word to you. This is uh, going to be um, a different kind of message or the second of uh, the series of different kind of messages. Typically, we uh, preach through a book of the Bible or a series of messages and we focus on one text of scripture and try to uh, fully uh, share that passage, exegete that passage. And uh, having gone through the Gospel of Luke for several years, uh, we came to the final chapter of Luke, and we saw on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection of Christ, as he appeared to two of his followers, not not a part of the uh, 11 or 12 disciples, but other followers of Christ, other disciples of Christ. The Bible tells us on that road, not being disclosed to them, knowing, not knowing who he was at that point. The Bible tells us there that he said that the, in verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And of course, the scriptures at that time were the Old Testament. So that means that Jesus started uh, in Genesis and uh, on that walk to Emmaus, about a seven mile walk, he basically did a Bible conference uh, in the Old Testament, showing them himself in the Old Testament. Then again, down in, uh, as he appeared to them again, later all of them, in verse 44, he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And so that is why we're taking a short time, not going through all the Bible right now, but just uh, the first part in the, the books of Moses that are the books of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. So we're going to pick up this morning uh, with the book of Exodus. Next Sunday, the book of Leviticus. Uh, Hunter's going to be preaching the next in the book of Numbers, and I'll close out this series in the book of Deuteronomy, and then we'll move on probably to another book of the Bible. So uh, so just wanted to kind of let you know what we're doing right now and why it's a little different than, than normal. Last Sunday, I narrowed it from 15 uh, pictures of Christ in Genesis down to 10. Well, today we've narrowed it a little bit more down to seven. So from the book of Exodus. So would you join me right now as we pray and begin this time together? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity of worship today. We trust, Lord Jesus, you have been exalted in our worship as we praised you from our heart. But Lord, help us to realize that the worship did, did not end when we stopped singing, that we continue in a spirit of worship as we seek to preach the word of God. And Lord, to seek Christ in all the scriptures, to glorify Christ in the preaching of your word. Lord Jesus, we do acknowledge as your word has so clearly made known to us and you so clearly told us here in the gospel of Luke that all the word of God is centered on Christ. Help us to see Christ today. Show us 
Christ as we've sung together today, as we open now the book of Exodus. We thank you for the beautiful pictures of Christ there and the gospel that is presented even in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. Lord, we pray that that for those who may not know Christ today, that you would show them Christ here in, in these passages and that they would be drawn to him, that they would see him as he is, Lord, uh, the Lord God, the creator of this universe, the one who loved them and gave himself for us as sinners that we might come to repentance and faith in Christ. And we pray for those who are your children this morning, that they would come to appreciate the gospel more and Christ, to, to love Christ more, to worship Christ more effectively and, effe- and, and, and with heart. And Lord, we pray you will be exalted in our time in the word this morning and that you would draw people unto yourself and transform lives by the power of your gospel. We love you, exalt you, and praise you. And we pray it believing in Jesus' name and all God's people agreed and said, amen. Well, one of the, one of the visits that my parents made uh, to uh, visit my brother and his wife, who were missionaries to the Palestinians, uh, they were at that time living in Gaza. For 18 years, they lived in the Gaza Strip. And if you know anything about that geography, you know that's just above uh, Egypt. And so on one of their two trips they made, uh, my brother and his wife and family took my mom and dad down to Egypt uh, to visit Egypt. And uh, well, when my dad returned, he just couldn't stop talking about the pyramids, man, the pictures he showed us and the descriptions he made and how wonderful it, it was to see that part of history. It was so intriguing. And, and, uh, and Egypt is, has always been, uh, if you will, an intriguing nation and, uh, and a lot's been said about it. But, and, but, uh, but even more importantly, a lot is said about it in biblical history. Uh, and even in the New Testament, there is much uh, concerning uh, it, the analogy even of, of that special place and its prominent role in biblical history. Well, we're going to look this morning at the book of Exodus and and how God shows us Christ in at least several of the passages in the book of Exodus. Tony Merida in his book, Exalting Jesus in Exodus, said the Exodus was the most important event in Bible Uh, in the Bible until the cross. Perhaps you'd not thought of that before. Uh, J.H. Wright in his book, The Mission of God, writes, Exodus provides the primary model of redemption in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it stands as one of the keys for understanding the cross and salvation. Well, perhaps if you've never heard a message like this before from the book of Exodus pointing to Christ, I pray that God will help all of our hearts to see this in a new and a fresh way this morning. Well, obviously, having looked through uh, the book of Genesis very quickly last week, uh, Exodus, now we come to, to the book of Exodus, and it is a, it is a sequel, really, to, to the book of Genesis. It picks up uh, and somewhat uh, where Exodus, uh, Genesis left off. However, it's some years later, of course. It's been by this time, Israel has been in Egypt for about 300 years. And uh, they have remained separate in, uh, from the people of Egypt. And you may wonder, how did they do that? This was part of God's sovereign plan. But if you'll remember early in the book of, of Genesis that uh, Joseph, as his brothers were coming, he told them, uh, first of all, it was a little humorous there, he told them, don't tell the Pharaoh what you, you do. 
Uh, but right away, he said, what do you do? And they said, we're shepherds. Well, to the Egyptians, the shepherds were unclean. And so they didn't have anything to do with these unclean, by their r- religious standards, uh, these, these is, what we know would become Israelites. But it was also part of God's plan in keeping them separate. And, and if part of his fulfillment of his promise to them during their time there, they went from being a pretty good-sized family to now in these 300 years, they have become a nation and they maintained their tribes, if you will, according to those, uh, those uh, 12 that, uh, sons uh, of Jacob or Israel. And so now, again, that's the position that they're in. And they've grown into this great nation. And, and we're going to see what's taking place here is that, that God, of course, all along, this has been his plan. He's seen the, the, the heartache of his people. He's seen now what went from just being here in this land to, to be able to provide for their family and be able to provide for them as a people. Uh, now they have been uh, oppressed and have become slaves to the Egyptians. And this, this uh, Egyptian leader was doing this for the purpose uh, of uh, not uh, having... A, an uprising of them. So he oppressed them, but he also got uh, free labor out of them in the process. So that's really kind of where you, you find them now. This Pharaoh did not know about Joseph and his contribution and, uh, to them. So, but, but God had a plan all along. His plan was for redemption. That is really the theme of the book of Exodus, the redemption of God's people, the deliverance, if you will, of God's people. And in this picture, as we've said, we see a beautiful picture of Christ and his redemption for us as his people. So if you will, this morning, I want you to see with me, we're going to be turning to these books, uh, something again, we don't always do, but we're going to start with the first couple of chapters and then we'll move rather quickly and look at seven pictures, if you will. And we entitle the message, seeing and savoring Christ in Exodus. First of all, I want you to see Christ as the one born to deliver his people. See Christ as the one born to deliver his people. Again, God's plan for redemption called for a deliverer. And uh, we, uh, we see in this, uh, this, certainly in this passage, and right, uh, right away, uh, as we've seen already, this Pharaoh, uh, fearful that these people are going to rise up and overcome his nation, he had an idea for trying to oppress them further and to uh, not allow their men, their, the young boys, to become soldiers who might overcome them. So he, he tells the Hebrew midwives here in the early part to... Uh, to when the ch- children were born, when boys were born among the Hebrews, he said, I want you immediately to kill those babies and put them to death. Well, they refused to comply. Look at chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to the Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. God honored them. And we go on to 
see that he blessed even these midwives with families. They became moms, and, uh, and, and God blessed them for, uh, for their, for their uh, heroic efforts here and standing and not, and not complying with, with Pharaoh's evil plan. Well, since that didn't work, then uh, the Pharaoh said, okay, then I want you to do this. I want you to throw all the Hebrew boys into the Nile River. Look at uh, down to verse uh, 21. It says, and so it, because the, the, he, they feared and, and he, uh, them, then, then they grew mighty. Or rather, he provided their households for them. And uh, so he said, throw them into the river. Well, obviously, uh, th this was a, also a very fearful time in the life of the nation of Israel. Exodus 2 tells us about the, the, a baby boy that was born to a couple from the tribe of Levi. And we know this baby later to be named Moses. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the mother was a very heroic mom. As long as she could hide her son, she did. But then with time, she could no longer do that. You know, you know how that goes with babies. They get a little noisier. And, uh, and so it got, it got a little more challenging. So she took her, her little boy and she made a little ark, if you will, a little boat, little little basket. And it was like a little ark. In fact, the word here is the word for ark. And she put him in that little basket and put him down among the reeds where he wouldn't float out into the river and put their daughter Miriam there to look over him. And one day, by God's sovereign plan, Pharaoh's daughter came down to the river to bathe and found this little basket and opened it up and there was that little baby boy. Well, Miriam, who was close by, knowing uh, now that, that this lady's going to probably, Pharaoh's daughter, take this baby with her, uh, she said, would you like for me to get someone to help take care of him? And she said, sure, nurse him. And, and so she was able, therefore, God in his sovereignty to, to provide for, for this little baby whom she named Moses, being, nursing him and, and for that period of time, being able to be mom to him in the midst of that. So you see God's wonderful plan and provision uh, for this. And all, and all of this is pointing toward his ultimate plan of raising up a deliverer. Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter was also very heroic here. The name uh, that she gave him uh, here at Moses is a Hebrew name. And down in uh, chapter 2 and, and uh, verse 10, the Bible says here, she named him, Mo she called his name Moses saying, because I drew him out of the water. Interestingly, the word Moses, Hebrew name, also sounds much like the Egyptian word for son. So it was like a, a, a double word there. But, but God was working through Pharaoh's daughter. We don't know whether the Pharaoh ever knew the whole story or what the situation was, but God sovereignly protected Moses in the midst of this. And, uh, and, and he, she drew him out of water. Again, God planned that he would be the one that would draw his people out of bondage to Egypt. Well, again, as we're thinking about seeing Christ here and this one born to deliver his people, Tony Moretta points out several similarities between Moses and Jesus. First of all, both were rescued from an evil ruler at birth. Second, both came out of Egypt. Uh, we see that of Jesus in Matthew 2, 13 to 16. Three, both had silent years before their ministry. And let me mention a couple of others. Both were given names signifying their mission. You heard about Moses. The Bible says of Jesus in Matthew 1, 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, meaning Jehovah is salvation, where he will save his people from their sins. And fifth, 
Both chose to leave a place of royalty to identify with their people. It is said of Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty four. by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. God raised up this deliverer. What a beautiful picture he is and, and type, if you will, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, Moses is inferior to Christ. He, he failed, as we see even when, throughout his life and ministry, but nonetheless, he was a picture, a shadow of one, the one who would come to truly deliver us. Well, let me just pause here for a moment as on this Mother's Day to say, don't we praise God for the heroic women of Exodus. These Hebrew midwives, for their faithfulness, their, their uh, bravery, their unwillingness to comply with this evil edict from Pharaoh. Also his sister Miriam, who also was a hero in this story. Uh, and then Pharaoh's daughter, who, was, uh, who became this adoptive mom to, uh, to Moses. And she too was, a, was heroic in her, in her effort, efforts here in Moses' life, used of God in helping bring him up uh, and prepare him for the mission that God had for him. And later, we'd, we'd read about Zipporah, Moses' wife. She too was a, he a hero in this story because she, she uh, helped save Moses uh, from destruction by God when he had failed to carry out his responsibilities as a spiritual leader to circumcise her son. And so again, we praise God for these moms, these godly women, and, and we praise God for you godly women who love the Lord, who serve the Lord, and who honor him. And we honor you today as godly moms. See Christ in, again, this one born to deliver his people. But secondly, see Christ as the I am. Turn over to chapter 3, just one more page there, maybe on the same page, chap uh, Exodus chapter 3. After growing up and, uh, in that home, Moses always being aware of the fact that he was Hebrew, and uh, he uh, grew more and more to identify with his own people, and, uh, and he... Um, uh, one day saw a, an, an, an Egyptian beating a, a Hebrew slave, and so he intervened, uh, and he murdered this Egyptian. Uh, and as a result of that, he had to flee Egypt, and he went out uh, here into the, to Midian where he met a, a woman named Zipporah. He married her. He became a shepherd for her father. And one day while he was out watching his father-in-law's sheep, he saw an unusual sight. He saw a bush that was burning and yet was not being consumed. He walked over to examine it. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. It says, so when the Lord saw that, he turned aside to look. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. 
Well, some refer to this incident as a Christophany, an Old Testament pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And, uh, and of course, from the bush, uh, this bush, Moses, uh, God tells Moses um, his plan to deliver his people, and he lets him know uh, that he is going to be the one to lead them. He was a very reluctant, as you read the story, a very reluctant one to deliver and tried to come up with all the reasons he was not the right one for the job. But God, nonetheless, uh, had every intention of sending him to do just that. And so he tells Moses he's, uh, uh, what, what he's going to do. Moses said there in verse uh, 13, it says, and, uh, and then Moses said, Indeed, when, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Then you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So God instructs Moses that he's to tell them his name is I am who I am. This is the first time that God has revealed himself uh, by this name. We also know it as Yahweh or Jehovah in your Bible. When you read that word, oftentimes it'll be the capital uh, L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Marita says it is related to the verb to be. God is. He is central. He has no beginning. He causes everything to be. Well, this is clearly a picture of Christ. And when we come to the New Testament, the Lord Jesus acknowledges that he is the I am. In fact, in the Gospel of John, there are seven I am sayings. And, and more times than that, we see the Lord Jesus acknowledging that he is the I am. In fact, in John uh, eight fifty eight, he told the Jews, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, not, not I was, but before Abraham was, I am. The Lord Jesus is declaring himself to be the I am, the same I am that appeared to Moses in the burning bush. So Jesus is saying, I am, I have no beginning. I caused everything to be. I am all and in all. And the Jews in this text knew that's what he was claiming. And that's why the Bible says there they picked up stones to stone him because they recognized that he was declaring himself to be Yahweh. He was declaring himself to be God. As we think about this today and we see Christ as the I am, I want to ask you, is Jesus everything to you? Is Jesus, again, your reason for existence? Is he central? Is he your life, as Paul said in Colossians? Well, when you truly repent of your sin and surrender to Christ, the more you come to know Christ, the more you come to realize he truly is everything to you. Third, see Christ as the Passover lamb. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. Turn over to chapter 12. Again, you're familiar, particularly some of us who grew up watching the Ten Commandments on a regular basis, probably. Uh, and uh, to you younger folks, if you haven't done that, I encourage you to. Uh, I won't say that it's 100% uh, right down uh, the, the biblical line, but, but it's, a, it's a historic classic film nonetheless. Uh, after nine plagues and demands to let his people go, each time Pharaoh refusing to let them go, 
The final warning and plague was the death of the firstborn. Uh, just prior to this plague, God established uh, his plan for delivering and saving the firstborn of his people. Look, if you will, at chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse uh, 21. We'll read 21 to, to 23, chapter 12, 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and, the, and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. So again, a, the, the, a spotless lamb was slain. Its blood was, was uh, shed and spread over the, uh, the top and the sides of the door. And that night, their, um, their firstborn was saved from the death angel. And uh, because, because of the substitute, uh, but, but, in the, but in the Egyptian homes where their firstborn was, because there was no lamb, because there was no blood, there was therefore no salvation. This too was a clear picture or is a clear picture of Christ. First Corinthians five, seven says for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Peter said in, in first Peter one, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the, your futile ways, uh, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And again, sometimes we question this hardening of Pharaoh's heart uh, in this passage. But again, the, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart led to the death, ultimately, of the Passover lamb, uh, making it possible to see this picture, make it possible for them to be delivered. Uh, and again, uh, think about this. Tim Keller said, you know, if, you, if you'd been in Egypt and, 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 and just following right before they left, but following the pa this, pa this first Passover. And you'd stopped an Israelite uh, and said, hey, what's happening here? What's going on? Uh, they would have said to you, and they would have said, I, I was a slave under a sentence of death, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb and escaped that bondage. Now God lives in our midst and we are following him to the promised land. And what a similar testimony that is for us as believers. Because of the blood of the lamb, we've been delivered. And, and again, we've escaped the bondage to sin that was, was, our, was to who we were. We're no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free to serve Christ. And again, we're following him. We're walking with him. And, and, uh, and we're going to spend eternity with him. Is that your testimony today? Amen. Well, number, uh, number four, see Christ as the Red Sea. Look over just a, a couple more chapters over to Exodus 14, and we see that finally Pharaoh uh, lets the people go. Uh, they were on their way out of Egypt, and I'm sure were feeling pretty good about everything when they came to the Red Sea, and they looked behind them, and here comes Pharaoh's army. And, uh, and man, they are really 
frightened. You know, they think, okay, now we got out and now it's over. Uh, and, and we went through all of that to no avail. But we know, of course, that Moses, uh, notice again what Moses told the people in uh, verses 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. For the, okay, so, so again, God is letting them know how he's going to deliver them. Look down to verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back to, by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And, uh, and the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. So again, we'll keep reading to verse 25. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them uh, drove, and with, with difficulty, and the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for the Egyptians. So God told Moses to stretch out his hand over the sea, and again, the waters return, and we read on in the passage that, uh, that ultimately what happened was the water covered Pharaoh's army, and he destroyed them. So the Red Sea. The Red Sea is a picture of judgment, of salvation. The ch children of Israel, uh, again, this was, this was the, the real place of exodus out of Egypt. And God is showing a picture there that, that they are crossing from death to life. The same sea that brought life and deliverance to the children of Israel brought death for the enemies. So it is with Christ and the cross. When we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, the Bible says we are put in him. And again, this uh, pictures for us being put into Christ at salvation. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2 says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses and in the cloud of the sea. And again, the Bible says through the Lord Jesus Christ in the cross, John 5, 24, we pass from death to life, death to life. Can you imagine those children of Israel as they were crossing through there, uh, seeing those uh, sea on, on both sides of them, going through this, uh, this sea on dry land? Uh, some of them may have been excited. Some of them may have been quite frightened. Tim Keller said, you know, it wasn't so much the, the, uh, the quality or even the quantity of their faith as they went through, but it was the source of their faith. And dear friend, the source of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one whom we are trusting in. And sometimes our faith may struggle, but the Lord Jesus is firm and secure, and he's the one in whom we trust. And so, friend, if you've repented and trusted in Christ, you've crossed over, and, and your enemy has been defeated. You are a victor through the Lord Jesus Christ. See Christ as the Red Sea. But number five, see Christ as the bread from heaven. Look, if you will, at uh, chapter uh, 16 
And just to say a few words about this, uh, God, of course, took care of the children of Israel as they were going through the wilderness. In fact, they stayed in the wilderness a lot longer than God had intended, 40 years. And uh, in that process, God fed them with something he called manna, bread from heaven. 1 Corinthians 10, 3 says, and all ate the same spiritual food. 16.4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God provided for his children through this miraculous bread called manna. And several things we could say about it. God God supernaturally rained it from heaven. You know, God had told them from the garden that, they, the, that people would have to uh, earn their living by the sweat of their brow. But this was something God supernaturally provided for them. Uh, he provided their food. And you know, it was everything that they needed. It was all in one. They didn't have to have any supplements. God provided for them. He, it was fully sufficient for all that they needed. And, uh, and again, God told them it was so significant that they were to take some of it and he instructed them to put it in with the Ark of the Covenant to be reminded of God's wonderful provision. Well, all these things, dear friend, are true of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he is graciously provided. Uh, our, he graciously provides our salvation. We don't earn him or work for him or work for our salvation. He provides his salvation to us as a gift. And you know what? We don't have to supplement either, do we? Jesus is fully sufficient. He's all that we need. The Bible says in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. He is fully sufficient. And how significant is he? Well, he is Lord and God. Even as we saw at his ascension, he, he was seated at the right hand of the Father. He's ruling the universe. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus said in John 6, 32 to 35, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Have you had your hunger satisfied in the Lord Jesus? Have you had your thirst quenched in the Lord Jesus Christ? John Piper said, Jesus is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I want you to see number six, see Christ as the water from the rock. Over to Exodus 17. Exodus 17. We find that as you read about the children of Israel, it seems they were always griping and complaining. And I want you to know that wasn't good. Uh, and they're a, an example we should not follow in their complaining. But they were complaining that they were thirsty, even though God had so wonderfully provided for them. And God was so amazingly patient with them. But Moses prayed and God instructed him. Look at chapter 17, uh, verses 5 and 6. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and, and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod, which you uh, struck the river and go. And verse six, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it. 
that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Uh, notice Paul's words again in 1 Corinthians 10, 4. He said, and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Paul makes it very clear by the inspiration of the spirit that the rock in the wilderness and the water which flowed and satisfied the people were pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. Merida points out that Moses struck the rock instead of striking the people. And the Lord Jesus was struck for us on the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. And the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. You see, he was punished so that we might not have to experience the punishment of eternal hell forever. And that's how the Lord Jesus is pictured in this beautiful picture here. And again, he satisfies our thirst. In John 7, 37, Jesus, we read of Jesus. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You see, we're not only uh, to experience his living water flowing in and through us, but we're to lead others to the rock so that they can have their thirst quenched as well. Are you being used of God to point others to the living water of the Lord Jesus Christ? But seven and finally, see Christ as the tabernacle. And uh, really, this covers a great portion of the, the uh, book of Exodus 25 and following 25 to 27, where he describes all the, the uh, furnishings of the tabernacle and so forth. And so much could be said about that, which we don't have time to get to today. But in his book, um, Made According to Pattern, T.W. Slimming said, the idea of the tabernacle, therefore, was that God had become a pilgrim with pilgrims and occupied a tent with tent dwellers. In chapter uh, 25, verse 8, we say, he says, and let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. It also demonstrated the holiness of God. God wanted to be among his people, but he was a holy God and they were a sinful people. And so he had to make provisions uh, to help uh, prepare the people to, to approach him, to make them holy. And he often warned, as you read in these Old Testament passages about the holiness of God and how he was not uh, approachable uh, in, an, in an unholy way. And God made that possible. Through and, and again, picturing the ultimate way through the Lord Jesus Christ. John Owen said everything Moses did in erecting the tabernacle and instituting all its services was intended to testify to the person and glory of Christ, which was later to be revealed. Jesus' incarnation is when he became a tent dweller, if you will, when he took up residence in a literal body. And, uh, and even today, as in his glorified body, he will forever be uh, identifying with his people, even as God sought to identify with his people uh, in this tabernacle. But it was just a picture, a type, if you will, pointing to the Lord Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us forever. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word here for dwelt here uh, means tabernacled. He tabernacled among us. When Jesus died, the Bible says the veil of the temple was torn, representing his torn body. That it is through him that we now have full access to 
the Father into his presence forever. Because again, he offered himself up as our Passover lamb. His body uh, was torn and he rose again from the dead. He's alive today and makes it possible for us to enter in to the presence of God forever. And one day we will behold Christ in all of his glory. The song said it this way, when by the gift of his infinite grace, I am accorded in heaven a place just to be there and look on his face, will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me. When by his grace, I shall look on his face, that will be glory for me. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.